I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1980. The group, not the 9 o'clock news. The album, not the 9 o'clock news. And my guest, once again, Joseph Scrimshaw. I am happy to be here. Now, in this case, I actually wasn't sure if you picked it because you had or hadn't heard it before or how familiar you, how familiar you, you were with not the 9 o'clock news. I have a very weird relationship with it okay uh, because i had a, a period in my life where i, I was uh, getting everything on vinyl i think the first episode i did uh, with you was about the sinatra album. originally it was sinatra right yeah, oh yeah so, so uh, did i say second time because this is your third time, I should, third time. yeah wow yeah. yeah uh so i i saw this album and i loved mr bean i saw rowan atkinson okay. i yep. looked at the back i realized oh this is like before he was Rowan Atkinson when he was still a member of a sketch group. Yeah, yeah. At the time, I was very fascinated because, like, I was in sketch groups and improv groups, and there was sure. always that question of, like, but who's going to actually, like, continue to do this and mm-hmm. actually make something of it? Right. So there was that level of fascination. So I got it. I, I think I listened to it all the way through once. Mm-hmm. And then what I would do is I would always listen to albums, and I would rotate between music and comedy as I went to sleep. Mm-hmm. So I know the first 20 minutes of this album incredibly well. <laughs> and the rest, it was like I was hearing it again for the first time when Holy I listened shit. to it for the podcast. Uh, and there's stuff at the beginning of it that I think about all the time mm-hmm. that I love. Yeah. It's great. Even now, uh, you know, much as I might consider myself sometimes an Anglophile, there's yeah. plenty that went above my head. Oh, yeah. So, but I'm curious then, like, what's your experience with that part of it? I mean, you're from, you're originally from the Minneapolis area. Are yeah. you from Minneapolis, Minneapolis, or are you from the area? I was born in uh, Brainerd, which is okay. a north, northern resort town that mm-hmm. people think is nice because they go there as a resort town. But uh-huh. in reality, it is a lot of people struggling. Yeah. Okay. Uh, gotcha. But then, so I was born there, and then I, I lived most of my life in Minneapolis. Bounced mm-hmm. around a lot, but like, I was settled in Minneapolis by the time I was 10. Mm-hmm. So, so what's yeah. your initial, because uh, we haven't talked about this, what's your initial exposure to English humor? Like, what hit you first? What hit me first? Wow. I, I was not a huge Monty Python guy. I'm okay. trying to think of what my first exposure... I don't think my first exposure to uh, anything Anglophile, anything English-related is pr- sci-fi. is from Doctor Who. Okay. Probably. Yeah. And Sherlock Holmes and just starting to realize that, oh, a lot of the things I like are from England. Yeah. Like, that's just not the accent of the Imperials in Star Wars. That's an actual place with a history and a culture. It's richer than our own. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so so I think the first time I saw Mr. Bean, uh, I was amazed to see a Dalek in a sketch because they were playing Mr. Bean on PBS, and okay. there's the holiday sketch where he is messing around in the manger, and one of the things he puts in is, is the Dalek. <laughs> and at that time, to see... Doctor Who referenced anywhere else in culture uh-huh. was uh, so amazing. That's to awesome. Me. Okay. Uh, yeah, I saw Monty Python. I never quite fell in love with Monty Python the mm-hmm. way other people did. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We'll get to yeah. that later. Yeah, yeah, we will. <laughs> that, was, that was that was very interesting. Um, so I I liked the British sensibility. There's, it's very subtle, but there is humor in Doctor Who. And, sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. So I kind of came to it that way. Okay, so your so your curiosity now. I'm sorry, you did say you bought this on vinyl originally, yeah, right? I think I still have it. Okay, I think okay. it is actually with me here in Los Angeles because I bought brought like a a quarter, if that, of my vinyl collection okay. with me to Los Angeles. So you were you're just hunting through. Were you looking for English stuff, or it did stand out because Rowan Atkinson's name? It was Rowan Atkinson. I wasn't yeah. looking for it. Okay, it found me. All right, <laughs> nice. That's good. That is good. That makes me happy. Uh, and. <laughs> I, I just love this story of you knowing a portion of it so well. Now, I mean, let, we can just we can start at the very beginning of the yeah. album, whatever you want. Like, let's let's go over the stuff you know the best. Yeah. So, I mean, there's the initial news stuff, which mm-hmm. I'd be happy to talk about. But sure. The thing that I, I really wanted to talk about mm-hmm. is the damn Gerald sketch. Yeah. The monkey <laughs> sketch. It's uh, really brilliant. Because this is pretty early in my comedy career. I mostly do stand-up type stuff now and, and various comedy writing, but it was mostly sketch and improv then. Okay. So I was really thinking in that mindset mm-hmm. of how do you communicate comedy through sketch. Sure. And I love things that were weird, mm-hmm. but also really uh, almost personal, that character perspective comedy. Okay. Okay. And also just had really hard attacking lines, like lines that are not... Like, let's slowly build to the one big laugh of the sketch. Sure, okay. But I've always been a, like, 
I want every effing syllable to have a joke, if <laughs> mm-hmm. humanly possible. Yeah. So that this Gerald sketch of, well, it's a monkey that was captured by a David Attenborough type guy, <laughs> except for the monkey is incredibly intelligent. And in fact, has the perfect lilting little British accent and is pedantic. <laughs> it's just like it, it captured all of the things that I wanted to have in my own live comedy sketches that mm-hmm. I was writing and performing all the time. Okay. I got that. Yeah. That's good. And it's actually... Well, I won't say it's different from the rest of the album, but the, the it is because we're not watching it. I don't. I, I think it's harder to maybe see what the patterns are in it because it's all very different shit. Yeah, you know, all the comedy's different. There's music. It's the same as the last time we did one of the not the nine o'clock news albums, but it's 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 this. It stands out more in this that it's just every track is so incredibly different. Yeah, and some of them are very very short. Yeah. Uh, obviously they're parodying punk. This is. I think this album is from. 80, right? 80, yeah. Um, but probably some of the material might even be from 79. Would when have to actual be, I would imagine, yeah. Live, the actual, not live show, but the actual television show started. Yeah. And it certainly makes fun of punk, but it almost has a little bit of punk attitude. Right, like, right. And it's weird sort of choppy construction. Mm-hmm. And it's got that little meta bit at the end. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot about it that has, to me, like a punk aesthetic. And the cover of it is literally somebody like cutting out photos and putting them together, cutting their hands, of course, as well. But, like, it's a mix of the joke of, yes, we're implanting ourselves within the news, but it's also kind of, I mean, the back is, like, looks like a punk, like a shitty record back, and it's great. Yeah, like, what is it, Never Mind the Buzzcocks, I think, that's very much like this? Yeah, okay, right, right, right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It makes me, yeah, I I will say that's the first thing that stood out to me, too, because I, I, uh, because the track one is Death of a Princess, an apology. Which is, uh, you know, again, they're very, I mean, the the satire is very hard hitting, but then also to parallel that with the next thing that comes up, which is, which is the sketch with the damn ape is pretty great. Yeah. And it's the the sketch with the ape in in terms of like trying to tie the album together and make sense of it. Mm -hmm. Like some of it is very, very specific uh, time wise, geography wise, politics wise. Mm hmm. And it's obviously satire. It's attacking specific things. Sure. And then some of it does seem like just a big, broad sketch. Like, mm-hmm. you could do a hyper-intelligent monkey sketch any old time you wanted. Absolutely, yeah. But at the same time, there is, like, a little element of satire to it of attacking pomposity. Mm-hmm. That attacking the very idea of pomposity that, like, oh, if we as humans could give apes our culture, what we would actually be giving them is we would make them pompous, pedantic assholes. <laughs> like, that's what we have to offer culturally to animals. There's, like, an element of satire to that. Yeah. And and I think making fun of humans thinking they're always above. Sure. And that's that's a very British form of humor, right? That Absolutely. Super high and the super low. And yeah. they seem super invested in, in those arguments. And it's opened with just, I mean, in the most perfect way. And I'm imagining... Uh, Actually, have you seen any of the video of these? Because I wanted to look them up, but didn't have time. I bought the DVD, and you I did. had the same experience that I did watch, listening to the album. R- like, really? this is this is the group. This is the album mm-hmm. that gave me the Gerald sketch. That's awesome. So I bought it. Uh-huh. I watched the first couple episodes. I saw the Gerald sketch. Mm-hmm. And then the next episode, I was like, it's, it's good, mm-hmm. but I'm not super into it. Right. Yeah. Right. So well, I think I might just be obsessed with the monkey sketch. That's fine. More than this whole album, but I do like the album. What I have to imagine then is it's, uh, and I'm sorry that I don't know any of the names except Rowan Atkinson, but it's Rowan Atkinson in a mon- monkey costume. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how convincing the monkey costume is in the video. It's not. Not at, at all. all. Okay, because it sounds like a shitty Dr. Zayas when he starts talking. Absolutely, and you can <laughs> hear his speech uh, it being impeded by the mask, which only adds to the beauty. And it starts out with him saying, well, you know, I, I originally came across uh, Gerald in the, in the jungle, I believe it was around 1967 or so, and then 1968, actually. That's yeah. the perfect way to open it. The monkey corrects him. Yeah, it, yeah, it sets the tone so much. Yeah. And then just like that really good, solid wordplay, like, well, when I first caught him, he was wild. Wild? I was livid. Like, <laughs> it's just like classic... <laughs> nice straight across the plate wordplay of course it was extremely difficult to get him even to this stage um <laughs> when i first uh, when i first captured gerald in the congo i'm 67 i think it was i 68. <laughs> 68 um there was an awful lot of work to do he was enormously slow and difficult i had to do a lot of work with him on a sort of one-to-one basis yes, if i might just butt in at this point tim i think i should 
point out that I have done a considerable amount of work on this project myself, and if I may say so, your teaching methods do leave a bit to be desired. <laughs> and your, your diction, for instance, is I'm not sorry, really I'm sorry, can whatever. I put this into some sort of perspective? When I caught Gerald in 68, <clears throat> he was completely wild. Wild? I was absolutely livid. I mean, <laughs> That's changed now. Yes. Yeah, because, yeah. of course, you've been brought up in, in the professor's own house. Yes, he's living with me, yes. Though not in the biblical sense. <laughs> so when when you're listening to this, is it kind of, for you, is it this big revelation? Or is it like, did you feel like this is stuff you had heard before, but you were half, it, it was like kind of exciting that it was English? What was like, the? how did it feel to listen to this the first time? I think the fact that it was both that it had a lot of what I expected from British humor at that mm -hmm. point, that it was kind of wacky, kind of big and broad. Mm -hmm. But I think the British humor and British culture deals with highbrow and lowbrow in a way that American comedy still to this day wrestles with. Yeah. Like either you go really high and you're an idea guy. You're right. Or you talk about your dick and you're a road comic. And like <laughs> the British are sort of like, let's talk about the depths of the problem with our politics. And also uh, my Peter fell out. <laughs> like both of those things sit together comfortably. Yeah. So I always appreciated that. So the, all, all of those things were there, the wacky, the highbrow, the lowbrow. But then that element of punk anger mm -hmm. and how much it is sitting in 80s town yeah uh, early 80s in particular where they have the the song coming up really quickly uh early on in the album about nuclear destruction yeah and it's kind of a joke mm -hmm. and it's kind of not kind of it's not, kind of like right. we might keep doing monkey sketches forever or <laughs> reagan and thatcher and the, the ussr might just destroy the entire world right yeah and it's so necessary uh at the time and it's it's so I mean, I know that we did. I mean, we did not necessarily the news, which I will admit I have never seen or heard or anything. I don't. Have you ever seen that at all? I think bits and pieces, okay. but I don't know it. And I don't know if it's formatted at all the same as this. Uh, but it feels like it's something we could have used at the same time because we had SNL, and I don't know that we were doing. Again, I don't think we were doing that mix. I think no, it, it was. You know, it would have been Chevy Chase falling down the stairs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Saturday Night Live, I think. Um, attacked moments that were almost pop culture mm -hmm. more than important political satire. Right. I mean, certainly there are elements of that. I don't want to anger all of your Saturday Night Live fans <laughs> and have them come rioting towards my home. Uh, but yeah, but it, it's not that same, that really, really sharp attack. Absolutely. Like, they, they were caught up on the news of the day and they had opinions about it. Mm -hmm. And so much of this album is from a more working class perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, which is, and I, I don't know enough about Rowan Atkinson's background, but I, he always has struck me as the kind of guy who, while he, he, the man could have been born with a silver spoon in his mouth, he clearly doesn't give a fuck about that. He's, he, I mean, he played at Blackadder for fuck's sake. Yeah. I mean, he, there's just, that's in him somewhere. Yeah. So is Mr. Bean though. And that's kind of perfect. Like it's exactly what we're talking about. That's the guy to be doing this kind yeah. of shit. Yeah. And he's obviously just like a uh, great sketch comedian in in particular i mean mm -hmm. he's a great comedian across the board sure. but he his delivery is great like that line where you were talking about the ape first correcting i don't think he even says 1968 mm -hmm. or actually i think he just says 68 okay so, yeah, i mean okay. he has even fewer syllables but mm -hmm. the idea is immediately clear with yeah. just saying 68 mm -hmm. he can totally by delivery make it clear that oh the entire joke of this sketch is that the monkey is actually <laughs> hyper intelligent uh-huh with the, he's I mean, he does a lot of like different silly voices, and you know, he's known for physical comedy. Right. This is an album. We don't even get to see him. Right. And he still can communicate so much. Yeah, and there's not one bit of there's character to to Gerald, of course, but it is very dry and very straight. Yeah. That's the only way to play it and let the other guy become an asshole. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. When I did a lot more sketch comedy and I did a lot of playwriting and I directed a lot of actors, it was always a challenge to get people who are good actors who are naturally funny to still take the time with each line and say like i need you can't just play the character you mm -hmm. should play the character sure and play the truth of the character but i also need you to understand why the line is funny because when you know you will communicate it by exact precise little pauses yeah because you know i'm doling out this expectation from the audience 
and then with the next syllable, I'm ripping it away. Yeah. And to me, Rowan Atkinson is a master of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's harder than you think, too, because, I mean, I was a sketch. I, I, I've always been a sketch guy. But in in college, like when I decided to take a one acting class and I'm reading as something as, quote unquote, simple as Neil Simon, the amount of times that I would reread it and realize, fuck, I missed so much. <laughs> I missed a like, bunch of jokes. You know, yeah. in your head, it's like everybody was like kind of giving me shit for it being middle of the road. And I'm like, I think you guys are missing some stuff. And then I realized that I'm missing so much too. Like I took it for granted as well, just as much as anybody else did. Yeah. That it's just like it's just like this American thing that's just sitting there for you to play with. But oop, and I dropped a bubble water. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's like uh, yeah, there's so much work to be done within these that it doesn't hurt, of course, that they're writing, performing their own stuff. Yeah. So they know what they're what they're exactly where they're coming from. But mm-hmm. he's, it's, I mean, it's a sketch group. So I imagine sure. that not all of these sketches are course, Rowan yeah. Atkinson's baby mm-hmm. and vice versa. I'm sure he wrote some stuff that other people are doing. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're not doing it as well as him. <laughs> when you wrote sketch, were you in a group or were you writing sketches for other people or what was the situation? Uh, I was always in it, but then I would be writing for other people as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so is this going back to college or before that or what's? Uh, college is well, yeah, when I started. Mm-hmm. And how many groups were you? Mostly just really the one main group. I did improv for a while, and then we mm-hmm. that group did some sketches. But I mostly worked with my brother and had a couple of late night shows that were monthly that I do every awesome. month. Yeah, and kind of comedy variety shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and like I said, then I started doing a lot of uh, in the Fringe Festival plays. Mm-hmm. So like one hour plays, um, and a lot of that was, you know, like uh, working on delivery and character at the same time like it had to come sure the comedy had to come through both yeah and Rowan Atkinson I think I just really admired because he was able he's able to tell a story and grab every laugh line along the way and there's no tension between those two things yeah that's a good point uh so in is is there uh i mean do you want we can absolutely talk more about the the gerald sketches there's some stuff that like some (laughs) notes you've got about because you know i again i only got to listen to this once and i I love the idea that you've heard it a million times yeah i mean the i think the gerald sketch has like it has a good build it has that the big reveal and then it has that building tension i think the line that sticks in my head is the uh, the, the non monkey the human mm-hmm. getting mad and saying David Attenborough? It's always David Bloody Attenborough. <laughs> uh, the idea that anybody who does this kind of work is going to be compared <laughs> specifically to David Attenborough. Uh-huh. And every time I hear David Attenborough's name, I think oh, David Bloody Attenborough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do like that this sketch just gets out. It it has a couple more jokes. Like it has another kind of twist on it where uh, where Gerald is clearly hyper intelligent. But then he's kind of doubling down on the idea that he is still an ape Mm -hmm. because he's doing some commercials and his appearances. And then he says, well, I you would think that I spend most of my money on nuts and bananas. (laughs) And I do spend 95 percent of my money on it. So like (laughs) kind of makes its statement and then it kind of takes its statement back (laughs) and then it's done. It's just out. And like the the host of the fake TV show is like, well, thanks, monkey. Bye. (laughs) I really like that uh, about all the sketches is they are just there. Mm-hmm. until they're done and there's not they all have good structure in terms of there's something about uh the presentation where the sketches naturally come to an end like their talk show and they just run out of time yeah or it's a presentation about being gay in being catholic uh-huh and they're just done talking about it now <laughs> and there isn't an effort to come up with what is currently the i think saturday night live and ucb up to some extent sure of like where you need to come up with the twist right or the surprise or mm-hmm. the third person entry entrance it's just like well we've got some jokes about a monkey and mm-hmm. now hello audience we're done with our monkey jokes right on to the next thing <laughs> bye <laughs> it's very classic i mean it's but it's also not it's not monty python it's not let's talk about how we don't have an ending to it it's just no it's end, it's done it's good no yep. button necessary it doesn't like there which is hard it's hard to do that and stay and keep people watching. I feel like yeah. sometimes because the it it will seem like it's one joke, but it's not. As you say, like it's one idea. Maybe yeah. you know, like you say, being a gay Catholic, it is that is the idea. But it's joke after joke after joke after joke. Once the jokes are out, we're out. Yeah, and like the gay Catholic one, that they start with the idea of well, 
this is somebody from the church who's trying to say it's okay. And mm-hmm. then clearly by the end, <laughs> that's not what the person is saying at all. To uh-huh. the point where they just blatantly say it, like, well, but of course the church hates you. Right. So that one is one where they're like, <laughs> well, let's strip away the veneer and now there's nothing left but the ugly <laughs> hatred. Bye. Right. <laughs> um, do you have um, another favorite outside of uh, outside of that one? Is there anything else that stands out? Um, I really like in that early news broadcast, which is before Gerald, mm-hmm. the part that I know intimately well. Right. The line about uh, Gaddafi that the bullet went straight through his head, missing his brain by six feet. <laughs> <laughs> Partially because the performer has the perfect to this day BBC calming voice of authority about what you say uh so that's it's just really well delivered yeah and there's uh, i i don't want to sound like some ancient old person and say i miss jokes like this but i miss that that contrast of straight across the plate jokes Mm -hmm. where the intent is clear the message is clear there's nothing novel about saying this person is very dumb Mm -hmm. but to have that sort of uh fanciful simple exaggeration yeah of straight through his head, missing his brain by six feet. There's yeah. like a there's a punch to it, um, and I love a lot of our current trends in comedy to go more toward storytelling and more towards idiosyncratic. Mm-hmm. But there is something to me just uh, I don't know, like coming home about like really straightforward jokes that are big and bold, mm-hmm. and their meaning is very clear. Right. Carrington, in apologizing again to Saudi Arabia for the ITV program Death of a Princess says he offers the Saudis the hand of friendship, which previously belonged to the producer of the documentary. Mrs. Thatcher has ordered an immediate inquiry into the number of jobless blacks. She feels there aren't enough. Unconfirmed sources report that Colonel Gaddafi of Libya has survived a second assassination attempt. Doctors say that the bullet went right through the middle of his head, missing his brain by six feet. Princess Anne has now been accused of mistreating a dumb, defenseless animal, but the palace says it's his own fault for marrying her in the first place. So, I absolutely see. Is there is there something you can contrast it to now, like a type of joke now that doesn't like maybe sit with you as well? Uh. It's not even about sitting, uh, not sitting well. It's just a different style, and I don't want to. I want all these styles to coexist at the of same course, time. Of course, of course, sure. But like, for, I think there are a lot of Saturday Night Live sketches over the years that are this person's weird. Yeah, that's the joke. Yeah, and instead to have a here's a kind of complex piece of political news, mm-hmm. an assassination attempt. Right. You know, but then. But what we really want to say is we want to use this assassination attempt to say this person is very, very dumb. Mm-hmm. Now let's have a very clever way to do it. There's just, in one way, it's kind of like simple, like, ah, you made a joke. Mm-hmm. I got it. It's a big, bold, really obvious. It's got a classic structure. You made a joke. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, there's a lot more complexity than we went to the Gap, and one of the people who works at the Gap is just weird. <laughs> we're all There are four other people in this sketch, and they're normal, but right. the Gap person is weird. I mm-hmm. mean, there's something also classic about that, because it's just sure. a simple right and wrong. But, uh, yeah, I think it's that, that idea of it seems simple, and then you dig down, and there's there's more there. Yeah, I can see that. Is there – I'm what's interesting about these two is that they're getting – they're so short, some of them, that the character – they're not – do you, am I misreading that the English seem to do characters differently? Because what I'm used to, if we want to talk about like what you're talking about, yeah. and I'm not going to, I'm not here to, I, neither of us are shitting on SNL, but the thing that I noticed about SNL when I stopped watching for a long time and then eventually, you know, came back was that their idea of a character was uh, an eccentricity or a weirdness. And then that is not, it's not necessarily the way they deal with the world. It's that they deal with everything in the exact same way. It doesn't yeah. seem to be an algorithm. It's just like a Mad Lib based on that character. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. not, it's not the way they see the world and react to the world It that makes it like, which would add some depth to it. It's just yeah. like, this happens. I'm going to say my catchphrase. This happens. I'm going to do the thing. You, I'm going to hit this guy with a bucket of, <laughs> of nuts or something. Yeah. You know? So, but it. I don't know. The characters in these somehow is it they instantly seem to have life and I don't know if that's me loving the English too much. No, I think that there was a fundamental change, at least from the Saturday Night Live perspective, mm-hmm. 
uh, and we, we all have our strong Saturday Night Live opinions. Sure, of course. Based of course. on when we were 14 years old exactly and first right. saw it. Exactly right. I think that there was something I will call uh, the Will Ferrell paradigm switch. Mm-hmm. Well, Will Ferrell is hilarious. Sure. But he was not an impressionist. He did not play a character in a almost classic sort of uh, theatrical way. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, uh, Dana Carvey played characters. Sure. He didn't just throw on a wig and be the exact kind of Dana Carvey funny. Mm-hmm. He played characters, and those characters, they were funny not only because of their voice and their look, but because they had the perspective. Church sure. Lady had a perspective. You knew what this character's baggage was. Yeah. And I think when Will Ferrell was kind of effortlessly like, I'm almost making fun of being a different character. Because right. look, they put a different coat on me in a different wig, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm supposed to be this guy now. But I kind of look at you in the audience and wink and go, but you guys know I'm Will Ferrell. <laughs> and it's really, really funny. Of course. But yeah. I think it erodes the idea that uh, sketch comedy should still be acting. Mm-hmm. In that, I think that's my bias. And I think like on I Not the that. 9 O'Clock two, News, they're still acting. For sure. They are playing characters. Mm-hmm. And they see, I mean, I mean, we know at the very least that some of these gentlemen and, and ladies have backgrounds that are probably not in sketch. I mean, at least in, in terms of like, you usually get a classical training over there yeah. before you're going to get a sketch training. I don't, I don't assume, I don't, I'd assume anybody hops in feet first the yeah. way you can over here. I mean, we have sketch, we have sketch school, we have comedy school. <laughs> I mean, like that's a pretty American and Canadian thing. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, and I don't know. They do. They feel to me just rich from the very beginning. I'm having, by the way, so much trouble figuring out what the fuck the track list is on the back because of how <laughs> shitty it is on purpose. Yeah, it is it's killing me. No, can I see the back? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Please. Oh yeah, they're really, really like uh, it's typewritten. Uh-huh. Things are crossed out. Crossed out. Yeah. A lot the of confrontation shit. song. Airline safety. Yeah. So airline safety is usually about when I would fall asleep. Okay. So I would I would make it through a death of a princess. David Attenborough, David Bloody Attenborough, the actual track, mm-hmm. and then uh, listen to Confrontation Song, which I came to enjoy unironically as a song. Uh-huh. Uh, and then Airline Safety was fascinating to me when I was re-listening to it, yeah, because this album goes back and forth from being totally uh, obscure, because it's mm-hmm. talking about some sort of British politics of exactly 1980. Yeah. Uh, then it has stuff that's clearly politics of the 80s that are recognizable, but sure. are now relevant again yeah. because of current politics. And then it also has stuff that's totally hasn't changed like the airline safety thing yeah that's true because the airline safety is just a sketch about i have the perfect flight attendant voice but i'm telling you honestly what's going to happen <laughs> if there's an emergency you are going to struggle to open your life jacket and you are going to scream and like i i forgot that that was on this album and every time i get on a plane i i think about like i need to i want to write that bit of the honest because like mm-hmm. most people on the plane are just going to fumble of course. They're not going to be able to pull anything down or open mm-hmm. anything out or pull tags or push buttons. <laughs> right. It's be screaming in chaos. <laughs> or give their children the gas, the, yeah. the mask first. They'll take it first. Come on. We yeah. know better. <laughs> um, I will say, because I was a huge Monty Python nerd okay. and obsessive, I can at least talk at some length about this is... Oh, it is even called that. That's funny. Okay, so it is called Life of Python. Yeah, which is which is interesting on a number of levels because later on in the '90s there was a documentary called Life of Python that was I don't think in any way referencing this. Yeah, I I wonder if this was on anybody's radar on Monty Python because again it seems super punk even though it was on the BBC and there's only so many BBCs you could watch, but uh, it is a perfect. God damn it! It's there's there's actually a lot of layers going on. Yeah, and it's one that's that shouldn't have aged well, mm-hmm. but it has it absolutely does. it is perhaps even matured like a fine line I of comedy think so yeah i think so so if anybody knows about the the history of uh the life of brian and all the bullshit that the monty python guys had to go through and <laughs> and how they on tv had to like fight for for like you shouldn't censor us because we've got you know this is not about jesus it's about blah 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 which obviously is tongue-in-cheek and them being fuckheads with yeah. messing but they're on tv with a cardinal and there's this whole thing and actually it's a really good um uh biopic of that era era of the monty python oh line. really okay. it's great it takes place over like the week during or, uh, them getting ready to make it actually and then them going on tv defending it and uh, what is great about this is not only does it flip the script by making Python the religion, 
which is amazing and makes you feel like an asshole for loving Monty <laughs> Python. Because, I mean, this is 1980. Python had not even been on the year, on, you know, they hadn't been on the air for a while. I, I mean, I'm sure these people appreciated Monty Python, but I bet there's, there's, there's a little bit of punk backlash, even if they're trying to make a satirical point. It seemed to me like the bitterness of, and I might be assuming things about mm-hmm. these artists that are incorrect. Sure, but like, I'm this doing is their, the same thing. This is their big, biggish break in, mm-hmm. in the UK. So they've probably been coming up, doing sketch comedy, maybe going to like Edinburgh Fringe Festival, sure. doing this kind of stuff. And probably anybody that they're talking to about comedy, like, hey, do you guys like Monty Python? <laughs> it, it had to be that flavor of, stop yep. talking to us about motherfucking <laughs> Monty Python. We love them. They're great. But they're not Jesus Christ. Right. And then somebody said, wait, that's a sketch. <laughs> it's a whole sketch where we so try to make good. a movie about Jesus Christ, but everybody <sighs> thinks it's about Python because they love Python so fucking much. Uh-huh. And won't shut up about it. They're even doing a thing where a couple times, they, or at least once, they do, they do a reference to the Spanish Inquisition, which is... A couple people in the audience laugh out of a base recognition, and the rest of them, I think, are probably like, you fucking asshole, don't you get the point of this bit? Because you can hear the difference in the laughs. Oh, yeah. You know, the self-aware laugh versus the, ha they did the thing. No, that's not the fucking joke. And yeah. I love that. Yeah. Th- there's some fascinating things in this album with audience reaction, but mm-hmm. definitely in, the, in this sketch, like people kind of seem to get the joke and mm-hmm. think it's funny mm-hmm. that, oh, we thought this was a sketch about people being upset about a movie about Jesus Christ, but no, it's because they think they're attacking Monty Python. <laughs> uh, and then the biggest laugh comes from when they say, well, what what did you expect when you made this movie? Well, I didn't expect the Spanish Inquisition. And right. that gets the biggest laugh. And it is true, too. You can't quite hear in the audience. Is, it, is that because they really get the meta joke? Right. Or it's like, hey, you said the Spanish Inquisition line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's one of those that, again, as a Monty Python fan, still makes me feel like an asshole, but yeah. I really like that. Well, can I ask you about your Monty Python fandom? Sure. So I think one of the re- – I've seen, when I was very young, mm-hmm. the big movies, and I've seen episodes, mm-hmm. and I liked it. Sure. But it was given to me by older people that mm-hmm. was like, I am going to give you what you need in ah. life to complete you. This is the be-all and end. It's good that mm-hmm. you've seen other comedy, mm-hmm. but this will fulfill you. And I, and I liked it. Sure. And that was one thing. And then as soon as I started to uh, get older and almost uh, in a lot of my performances uh, would be at conventions, mm-hmm. the stereotype would be super true where sure. people would quote Monty Python and you're like, oh, I, I need to say the word parrot in a sentence functionally uh-huh. Uh-huh. and I'm going to choose not to right? because I just don't <laughs> want to hear it. Uh-huh. Without parading this distorted garbage about. Bishop, you directed the film. Uh, did you expect this kind of reaction? <laughs> Well, well, I certainly didn't expect the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. Yes, I did direct the film. And I feel as though I must emphasize at this stage that it is not about Python. Oh, come on. I'm not a Pythonist. <laughs> I'm not a Pythonist myself. But obviously, I have a tremendous amount of respect for people like Alexander, who are... Oh, come now. I... now. Come now, Bishop. I mean, the leading figure in this film. What is it? Uh, uh, Jesus Christ. Christ. I mean, he's quite clearly, quite clearly a lampoon of the comic messiah himself. <laughs> Our Lord John Cleese. <laughs> I mean, even the initials, no, J.C., no, no, are exactly I, the same. No, no, I feel... No, look, I, feel, I must explain. I feel... I, I must explain to you, the Christ figure is not clean. Oh, come on. No, he's just an ordinary man who happens to have been born in Western Supermare at the same time. Where do you stand on all that as a fan? Do you Have uh-huh. you had that experience where people are annoying about quoting it? Or is that a stereotype? That isn't true? Oh, it's a stereotype that's true. There is no <laughs> doubt about that, Joseph. Let us get that thing straight. But your experience is the unfortunate experience. I would have preferred, let's say I'm the person. Let's say I'm 10 years older than you, and okay. I meet a young you. Uh, I would say, I would talk about Monty Python. There's this thing that's great. Wouldn't force you to listen to it or watch it. I might be like, hey, this might you might be interested in it. Because the way I discovered it, because, by the way, I've rewritten it several times in my head. I know that I've rewritten it. It's like, oh, yeah, I've been a fan of them for, for my whole life. Like your origin story with Monty Python, yeah, you revised? but it's completely untrue. <laughs> I didn't discover... Now, I was born in England. My mom lo- My mom is the biggest Anglophile, like okay. a legit expert on, like, uh, all of Henry VIII's family. The Tudors, like, she's an expert. Yeah. And huge nut for English comedy. I didn't watch 
Monty Python and the Holy Grail until I was 15 or 16. And then this was at the basement of a Unitarian church. And I was barely paying attention because I just wanted to go fuck off upstairs and play around in, in a church that was nobody else was there. <laughs> so I saw it. I want to have creepy church time. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't want creepy church time? Now, uh, but... But I did see it, and I loved it, and these jokes are great, but eventually I had to revisit it with my best friend. Like, oh, this is great. And then we did become those assholes. But then the albums became more of our thing. I don't think I saw the show probably until my 20s. Okay. And, yeah, so it, it became a slow discovery, but 100% we were those people, quoting and quoting it. But eventually you learn about the stereotype. You learn about how annoying that can be. <laughs> You're like, this is a thing between me and Dan, like me and my buddy. Like this yeah. is, and you hear other people like, oh, don't. You're gross. Like and so, <laughs> yeah. I think you have to be. I guess we lucked out in that we were self aware, but that's a hundred percent a thing. Yeah, but there I must mean, be something about Monty Python itself that mm -hmm. uh, encourages fans to do that mm -hmm. because obviously it's not a thing that just grew up into the U.S. appreciation of it because they're making fun of it in the U.K. Yeah. in 1980. I don't know if it's growth as a result in in a period of time that was the same time as uh, Rocky Horror has anything to do with it. Mm, but yeah. if you watch like Monty Python at the Hollywood Bowl, there's all these fuckheads, and I mean that in the nicest <laughs> way, like just. Just like me, all these fuckheads quoting it, and they're eating it up. Of course, I mean, would they have went at the, at the O2 when they were performing again for the last time? Would they have done the parrot sketch if they didn't want these nerds to be quoting it? Because they could have stopped. They didn't have to do that sketch again. <laughs> they didn't have to satisfy everybody. The ultimate thing to do would have been to start it and then have them all drop dead in the middle of it themselves and never finish the sketch. Oh, yeah. Like, that's way the way to, to do it, right? And then, you know, and... So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The seventies was the time when the the you know the what we know as nerddom happened. Yeah, you know, and uh, I was a you know eventually a victim of that myself. You know, yeah, but the seventies kind of made it happen. Yeah, totally. But I don't know if it's the seventies or what it is. I can't. I can't quite tell. I mean, because we're American, and I don't know that it's the same obsession over in England. Yeah, I don't know if it has lasted to this day because I think there is, at least the people that I know who love it who are Americans, mm -hmm. there is a little sense of discovery. And I think maybe sure. that's a little part of the sharing huge. because that was a recognition of, you know that sketch, I know that sketch. It means yep. enough to both of us that we have memorized it yep. and then it just snowballs from there. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention about that sketch, though, yes. that struck me is at a certain point, there's no mystery about what they're saying. Uh-huh. Because there's that comparison of like the Monty Python died for our sins. And like, <laughs> yes, they died frequently and clearly using died is in the context of their sketches bombed. Yeah. And I love that too. That honesty, like that you have to have and that's like the I think that's also reflecting the same thing for me. Like the fucking honesty of like a lot of the shit wasn't good. And they know yeah. that. They have to know that. Yeah. Their albums were actually better. Their albums were better than the show. Yeah. I will say that until I die, the, their albums were way better than the show. Yeah. Well, and to go back to the Saturday Night Live connection, I mm -hmm. remember when, like, uh, early on in, in VHS or DVDs, when some of, like, the best of early Saturday Night Live came out, and people mm -hmm. would be like, yeah, man, the chocolate <laughs> donuts for breakfast, uh -huh, all the uh -huh. classics, all amazing. Mm -hmm. And then I sat down with a friend to watch, like, <laughs> the full second episode of Saturday Night Live. Every uh -huh. sketch was like... Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yep, yeah. Yeah, let's it, revere them for the good stuff, sure, and recognize that we're all humans making art, right? <laughs> and sometimes yep. it's great, and sometimes <laughs> no, yeah. Sometimes they die for our sins. It's rough. It's yeah. rough. This is like the, that's the ultimate. It's the Canadian invasion, and the, like we revere them so highly, and that yeah, it's like whoa. Okay, okay, maybe <laughs> click. Let's try next. The next maybe. Uh, I will also say the SNL cast album is a great best of. If anybody has never somehow seen the old SNL, just listen to the cast album okay, from yeah. 75. Nice, nice. Yeah. Oops, sorry, I'm just checking something. Um, okay, let's let us skip to side two, and I I don't want to I don't want to push you through it, but mm. we're you know we started a little bit late, so I, I want to make sure we have somebody else showing up. So, oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so. Um, let's let's go to the side that you're not that familiar with, and that you might have just rediscovered as a result of suggesting this. I really did discover uh -huh. it today. Uh, -huh. uh, yeah. So the the I think kind of the the back end of the the first side, the the Monty Python one was really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. the, there's the Ayatollah song, which was interesting because uh -huh. it was so of its time. Uh huh. And was Absolutely not going to translate right. The comedy was clear. Um, one thing I started to notice, because I'm always fascinated with live performance and playing 
the room. Mm-hmm. There are like three or four times on the album, literally, where Rowan Atkinson has to go back for a line because he gets a bigger laugh than even he thinks he's going I to get. I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't mean to just turn the whole podcast into I very much like Rowan Atkinson and but monkeys, but that's kind of. It's huge. I mean, yeah. that's huge. And that is one of those things. It's like, is that a no-no? To go back for the line? Yeah. What do you think? No, no, no. not at all. Okay. Not at all. I think especially uh, some of the, some of these are like very layered and you need that next line. That's true. clearly not That's like true. throwaway. But it, to me, it's fun to, to listen to like, A, he's getting bigger and kind of more spontaneous laughs yeah. than he's expecting because he's just like, oh, I'll toss this one over my shoulder and keep going. And mm-hmm. like, nope, the audience, because that's the thing with live performances, you have to let the audience... It's a conversation. It's sure. a dance. You have to let the audience decide a little True. bit. Yeah. And there are a couple times the audience is like, actually, Rowan, we, we would like to laugh for a second. <laughs> right. So he, he goes back to make sure that the rest of it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that part of it is really fascinating to me. Um, and also, I think he becomes a real master of dancing with a live audience. Mm-hmm. Like He's got some later specials where he really, really knows exactly where the laugh is yeah he comes in exactly right on the laugh uh and i think he's also a person who is uh, goes for lots of little laughs as well as the big laughs Mm -hmm. as well as the reveal of the idea but also like lots of little laughs so it's in a way it's fun to just watch like oh here's rowan atkinson learning to be a master Mm -hmm. and then later you can buy things or watch things where oh now he is an utter master and that would never happen sure yeah, no, that's true. I actually now want to see. I mean, I wanted to see them since we listened to Hedgehog Sandwich, but I do want to see some more. So you can get a full DVD of what every season, or I think so. I think I have the first awesome. season, okay. or maybe it's a best of. Okay, I, you know, that is years ago that I picked it up. Sure. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, the on the backside in particular, mm-hmm. there are a couple of sketches. Speaking of audience reaction. Mm-hmm. That don't really land. We have representing the Stark community, George Fletcher. Hello. And the Reverend John Tabs Whiston, I start question. Good evening. I'd like to start with you, George, if I may. Is stoutness as big a problem as you're making out? Yeah, it's huge. Oh. And I'd like to start out by opening something up to the audience if I can. Can I ask anybody in the audience who is stout or who thinks he might be stout to please raise his hand? Well, I think there is in a nutshell. You see, stout people are afraid to stand up for fear that they might never find their feet in a society in which, for example, they are openly prodded onto trains, in which police, quite without provocation, break into stout snack bars and giggle openly, (laughs) openly, and in which they are surrounded by stoutest graffiti. And an obvious example is maximum load eight persons. So you feel like the more fat people... No, it's stout, it's stout. Sorry, it's stout. stout. I'm sorry, but this is absolutely crucial, Jan. It's absolutely right. simple. Yeah. And yet, they're on the album. Right. How because d- they must have believed in them so much, do you think? Oh, well, that's what I wanted to talk with you about. I was curious about your opinion, too, because mm-hmm. I know you, you do all of these albums on this podcast. You're a student of this. Mm-hmm. How many of these kind of albums do you listen to where it is... I guess stand-up always has a live audience, sure. too. But there's something different about this where it's clearly like the idea of the sketch doesn't land or mm-hmm. like it becomes clear in the dime drops what the idea of the sketch is and the audience sure. just isn't that into it right like there's the one sketch that hasn't aged well just making fun of uh people who are overweight yes right 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 yeah the uh, uh stout life is what it is stout life here yeah. and it is trying to it's definitely a sketch like many sketches uh, that is trying to have its cake and eat it too mm-hmm. where it's sort of trying to make fun of people who mm-hmm. make fun of people but also make fun of people right (laughs) yeah and the audience is clearly like oh we get it you're at you're advocating for us not to make these jokes while you're making these jokes Mm -hmm. and the audience has laughs of clear recognition where we get the premise but we're not that entertained yeah you know that's hard because my favorite sketch albums are all are, are never and i like this are never these though like the the bbc ones uh, like the Python one is is also mm, actually I'm not going to talk about the first one because I can't remember. But uh, all the all the good Python ones are recreations of their sketches. Okay. Because they give you there's a lot of work done there. They give they give shit time to breathe. If you miss a line, you miss a line. You know yeah. I actually find there's something beautiful about that. But in this, yeah, it, it's that's the only thing I can think is that they must have really really liked this one. Or it or did it fill? You know the other the other option is. It could have been a suit who put this together, this compilation. I don't know. True. True. I could would have been have a suit. To... Or, I mean, that, that's an interesting uh, 
split of choices. It could be like the BBC put this out and like yeah. th- it was not an uh, artistic decision. Or it could be the total opposite that they're so punk. They're like, we thought Stout Life is really funny mm-hmm. and we don't even give a damn. Yeah. We're punk. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's also possible. I can't tell. I also like that there's a note on here that, that and it says it twice. Uh, it, it does say, uh, let's see, featuring Ron Atkinson, Chris Langham, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Griff Reese Jones, Mel Smith, and Pamela Stevenson, who, by the way, is, if I'm not mistaken, that is Billy Connolly's wife. But yeah. it also says, also featuring one word from Billy Connolly. It says that twice here. <laughs> so there is a sketch in which one word is from Billy Connolly. Oh, airline safety. So it does say that there's one word from Billy Connolly in that sketch. <laughs> yeah. And there's one sketch funny. that's that references Billy Connolly about how hard he is to understand. Mm, yes, and right. I think, mm-hmm. And it's clearly a personality that I don't know who is hard to understand who mm-hmm. is introducing the concept that Billy Connolly is hard to understand. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy Connolly we need to talk more about on this podcast. Yeah. I, like I should point out. Um, <clears throat> let me see. Yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah. I wish I could answer that question. Yeah. Because I don't know. that w- That would not be... Like, if I look back on my own sketches... That if that were mine, I don't think I would be one I would pick necessarily. <laughs> uh, just because of that, it's not a great sketch. It's not a great sketch, but also, yeah, I mean, these are other than the songs, everything else is live. Although, is your audience reaction to the songs? Because on the other album, there is, but it's your audience yeah, reaction. Yeah, I okay. think you can. I mean, the songs are almost all kind of punky and loud, but sure. yeah, no, you can definitely hear laughs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's just it's a weird choice to me. Yeah, I would think you would want if I was producing this, I would say no. They'd all have to have, yeah, pretty big audience reactions. Yeah, I mean, I, I noted it, but as we're talking about it, mm-hmm. I, I'm not a fan of that sketch because, yeah. you know, some some of the things on this album are clearly progressive for 1980, sure, and are not absolutely progressive now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm a pretty progressive guy. And mm-hmm. Want comedy to try to reflect that in an interesting mm-hmm. way. So some of them, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not gonna be super entertained mm-hmm. by. A union group bartering to have sex with the bosses' wives and yeah. daughters. Like, uh-huh. yeah, like I understand the point of parody, but mm-hmm. I'm not on board with it. But I do think for the time, it's not only progressive, but also kind of being a little bit uh, edgier, mm-hmm. because I think there weren't as many sketches from like that working class perspective that yeah. was about like uh, unions and sure. our politicians are going to kill us all and. We're talking to working class blokes about whether or not they worship Satan. And like, there's yeah. a lot of working class <laughs> perspective. Um, so, which contributes to that sort of punk perspective. Yeah, that's true. And it doesn't seem to directly be shitting on any one particular class, which can be a trope that kind of, you know, falls into other English comedy because yeah. it's easy. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I kind of like that. I think if it was just a sketch that didn't work, mm-hmm. but it's on this very punk album. And it's got that energy of, even if you don't enjoy the sketch, if you're a student of comedy, you you can enjoy listening to the audience. Yeah, like you can hear you can hear it not work, mm-hmm. and that in a way That's makes true. it work because then it's it's a record of a live interaction. Yeah, which is automatically interesting. Yeah, right? I you know I, I now kind of want to listen to this back to back with with Hedgehog Sandwich just to see how how the choices might have changed. Because mm-hmm. the other one seemed a bit of a hodgepodge, and not necessarily in a bad way. Because again, this is fun. Uh, but I, I would be curious to listen to the two back to back, and uh, I should send that to you just so you can give. It oh a yeah, listen. I'd love to. Uh, but yeah, so okay, let's do this. Let's do the thing that we always do towards the end of the episode. Uh, let's say somebody hasn't heard not the nine o'clock news. Yeah. Why give this sucker a listen? I think it has a real energy to it it has a very crackling live energy to it not only because it's live but because it's punk and because it's very very interested in the contrast between highbrow and lowbrow Mm -hmm. so it's highbrow and lowbrow and also it has a little bit of the threat of death hanging over it yeah like yeah literally with that early song about nuclear destruction yeah but then it kind of keeps popping up. There's that very funny translation sketch about mm-hmm. a surgeon who doesn't know what anything is <laughs> called <laughs> and is making things up instead of saying scalpel, says sacrificial knife. <laughs> There's a, a pretty funny sketch uh, toward the end about is it bad to worship the demon? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that sketch, which I think was very progressive at the time, about the church being monstrous yeah. to anyone who is gay. Yeah. So it's got a lot of attacks on... Uh, threats to 
safety, mm-hmm. sort of thematically. That's a good point. Which in yeah. a way makes it feel more alive. And I think anybody who's listening to comedy right now should probably be listening to comedy from this era mm-hmm. where you're going to hear some similarities of uh, terrible actual physical threats to your life yeah. from <laughs> politics and the world. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, I am going to apologize now because I don't know when this is coming out. Let's just say forever in the future. Okay, it's going to okay. come out. Yeah, it will definitely come out, but I Before don't know when. nuclear war? Well, see, now that shows it. <laughs> I can't tell you. If I you have see the, the missiles flying, please release it. <laughs> right, I, absolutely. I'll just pull, <laughs> put them all out at once. Uh, so, but is there anything coming up? Go ahead and promote whatever you got. Where can people find you? You guys can uh, find me on social media is at Joseph Scrimshaw. I tweet and Instagram a bunch. Uh, my website is josephscrimshaw.com, and that has links to all of my various comedy adventures, live shows that mm-hmm. I do. And I do two podcasts. I have Obsessed Podcast that Jason did a really great Lego that episode was with fun. me. That was I really like that episode. It got a ton of great response. Oh, good. Uh, and I, oh, there's your Lego right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I do a Star Wars podcast called Force Center. Awesome. Which is, uh, I think, fun for people who are super into Star Wars and also not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a whole feed. So we do a bunch of different kinds of Star Wars shows. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. That's so fun. Check all that stuff out at josephscrimshaw.com. That is wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this. As Absolutely. always. Uh, well, guys, uh, this will come out this year, so I can at least tell you that I'm still doing comedy album a day, and by then, maybe I'll be caught up. I'm so far behind. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so just hashtag comedy album a day. Go to youtube.com slash comedy on vinyl. That's where you will find that. Uh, sometime later this year, my next movie comes out, Looking Forward 2016. Go to lookingforwardmovie.com. And that's about it. Thank oh, you, guys. I, yes, I, I, please. I always forget when I come on your show about mm-hmm. comedy albums. Yes, to mention that I have comedy uh, albums. Yeah, yeah, please, please. <laughs> yeah, I have an album called Flaw Fest, which is which a combination is wonderful. of comedy and music that I really, really like. It and is then, wonderful. Oh, thank you, thank you. And then I have a Star Wars and uh, social justice comedy album. Those awesome. are kind of the two things I care about. Mm-hmm. Called Rebel Scum. I need to hear that one. Okay, yeah. I have not heard that one. I'll bring you a copy. Please, thank you. I mean, I mean, I could pay for it like a human. <laughs> but... <laughs> Nobody pays for things. <laughs> uh, well, good. Yes, please listen. To, uh, definitely. I mean, I will. I'll vouch for both of them. Oh, thank. But you. since I since I've heard Flawfest, I fucking love it. Oh, uh, thank you so much. Uh, and I, I guess that's it. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune into the new Stand Up channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. 